Hi, it's Dr. Ayomize here, and welcome to Master Plan Marriage, where we focus on the master and his plans for all marriages, mine and yours included. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Is that all right? Of course. Okay. So what's your relationship with the Lord like in this season? Man. So me and God have this love and hate relationship. But, you know, for the most part, he's cool. That's my dude. All right. Well, you say you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Okay. So, what's the Lord been saying to you lately? Well, actually, I was reading the book of Job last week, and the Lord really spoke to me. Um, You know, I got two interviews this week. The word works. God is good. (laughs) Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to know, what is your opinion about sex outside of marriage? Well, you know, I I believe that if two individuals are effectually, fervently, deeply in love with one another, like you see the way I'm looking at you right now, girl? Like that. And it's consensual. You want to make sure it's consensual now. Then I think it's all right. The Lord is good with it. (laughs) Okay, that was humorous. But on a real note, this actually does happen. And it's necessary to notice and address red flags when they come. Y'all, let's take a listen to this week's episode where we sit down with Stephen and talk living single, dating, and marriage to the glory of God. Hello, everyone. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing from a young, single, Christian man of God, and he is going to be here to talk to us a little bit about singlehood from his perspective. So his name is Stephen Sloan, and um, I'm just going to say that I know him because he is my husband's brother in Christ. And so I know that he he's good people. <laughs> and I want to let him introduce himself. So without further ado, let's welcome Stephen Sloan. My name is Stephen Sloan. Thank you for the introduction. It was very good. Uh, <laughs> four years old, just had my birthday on May 1st. Celebrate- no way. Yeah, Happy yeah. birthday. We're yeah. not that far apart. I'm April 23rd. Yeah. So Ooh, that's springtime babies. Spring- that's right. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so I'm 34 years old. I actually am a committed uh, disciple of Christ. I also happen to be an electrical engineer um, mm-hmm. in the field of profession. I've been doing that for the past 10, 10 years. Got my professional engineering license. Uh, and I, I really love that job. And more so than anything else, I do really get into evangelism and street ministry um, very, very well, uh, as much as uh, prison ministry. And um, I don't do this as much anymore, uh, going to double A meetings, I mean, triple A meetings, no, Alcoholics Anonymous, double A meetings, but um, I'm always looking for an opportunity where I can serve um, to the best of my abilities for what the Lord has given me and the gifts that he's blessed me with. So just as a short synopsis, uh, I'm a man who really loves God. I really do appreciate the life uh, that he's blessed me with. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to serve, even um, when I'm in evangelism, when I'm doing ministry, or even at my job. If there's an open opportunity, I look to take advantage of it. Love it. So good. So good. Thank you. All right. So you know what, in in terms of, um, you know, you talking about the things that you love to do, loving the Lord, all of the ministries that you are involved in, let's hear about how you even came to know the Lord. What's your, what's your testimony? Uh, Interesting is I am actually a product of the United House of Prayer for all people. Um, If most folks would know, would be familiar with this church, or this organization by the name or reference of Bishop Daddy Grace. Um, They're used to that term. He's very infamous, uh, born in the Cape Verde Islands, started the United House Prayer in 1919. It's very uh, Pentecostal apostolic style of church. Um, 
you know, the, this is the type of church back in the 1920s where you come in there fully dressed, uh, primor uh, primarily African-American. Everybody has been given uh, a new position. Uh, women wear the dresses below the knees. Men have to come in there with full suits on. Most of us, when we get to a certain age, like to let the beard grow, as you <laughs> really see. Um, but I was born and raised in that particular church environment. Um, became um, really, really interested and intrigued in the idea of who God is because my mother wanted to get me really involved in the community, pressed my father to be more involved in it. And because he drew himself to the church, just as just being a, a lead father figure there, that drew me into knowing who God was. And that started my journey, I'd say around age 12, and age 13, I had issues with the idea of wanting to sort of uh, have suicidal thoughts. Mm. And it was, I'd say by the grace of God, my interaction with the church made me very um, interested in knowing more about this God. So I, I sat down you know, one time, probably for two nights, I read through that entire book of Revelation. Mm. And I guarantee you that I was scared straight, recognizing that the very thoughts that I had about wanting my life to be taken, I came to recognize that that life was not mine to take. Mm. It actually belonged to someone else who was responsible for my creation and not only took account for um how I dealt with my life, but would hold me accountable, not only for the actions that I take, but also the thoughts, the words, uh, my deeds, and the intentions of my heart and mind. Coming to recognize that there was someone who was already so involved in my life gave me a new perspective. Mm. And so this is around age 12, some age 13. I, I don't, I had never been so scared straight in my life. My <laughs> take me to several different ministers just to get me uh, to start acting normal again. Because my, my perspective on there is truly a God to be feared mm. uh, was something to be reckoned with. If, if there was ever something that talk, spoke about the beginning of, of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord, that was my beginning. Mm. And I can guarantee you that from that point on, I had dedicated my life to pursuing this God in whatever way possible. I had dreams, visions of all sorts of different types of stuff. I couldn't help but tell my parents what, what was going on. And I just began a journey of wanting to pursue God. So at age 15, I became a deacon of that church. At age 21, I mean, 23, I became an elder of that congregation mm. or of that church um, and started preaching and ministering. But there was one interesting thing that was making my ministry, making my position as an elder very difficult. And that was some of the things that we taught in the house of prayer did not align with what was written inside that book. Mm. And so with all the enthusiasm that I had to serve, I went to college looking to become an engineer so that way I could help perpetuate the establishment of churches for the house of prayer throughout the United, throughout the United States and wherever, wherever else uh, my degree would take me. Um, my life was wrapped up, tied up and tangled up in the house of prayer. And at age 23, when I became a minister for them, I was certain that I was going to prove that the house of prayer was God's chosen place, the place where God had laid his name according to Isaiah chapter 56 and verse seven. Hmm. And that was our foundation in the house of prayer. We based our foundation on the reality that God had spoken according to the prophet Isaiah saying that God's name would actually be at a specific location. And if you were not at that specific location, uh, or house of worship, then you were at the wrong spot. It did not matter 
whether you actually were a confessed believer in Christ, whether you professed to have the spirit, the signs and wonders of the spirit manifesting in your life. If you were not at God's place where he said his name should be, and the only place where you should offer your sacrifices, according to Deuteronomy chapter 12, um, you were in the wrong place and you could be subject or subjected to the fiery judgment. Mm. So in my ministry, as I became more and more wanting to prove that you had to come to the house of prayer, I was faced with the task of actually reading that Bible and hearing mm. what it says. And the problem with that is I could not back up our claims just by reading that Bible alone. And that became a true testament for me because that was a time to wrestle. Hmm. I was either going to be faced with the choice to fake it to make it, as most of the brothers who I actually have met in my church, in the former church that I was a part of, I'm no longer a part of it, but I, I would either have to fake it to make it, go along to get along, or confront the truth as it's supposed to be confronted. And apparently, I chose to go with embracing the truth for what it is. And that's a very hard one because my whole life was wrapped up in the house of prayer. Mm. Didn't know much else about the Christian world. As a matter of fact, we had the idea that the worst one in the house of prayer was better than the best one of you who were outside of the house of prayer. Wow. Those are statements that we made. And some of, several of the, our own statements, we would make it that whole, we're the true church and you're not. Um, I, I recall being told by my very own pastor, as I asked him while I was at North Carolina a and if we could pray with other individuals who, you know, if you get to college, you get some of those collegiate Christian groups mm -hmm. around their whole hands, they'll preach together or pray together in front of the masses. And, you know, that was attractive. I thought they got Jesus' name in there. How come I can't go in there and pray? Well, I went there and I asked my pastor, is it okay for us to do something like that? Mm -hmm. The reason why I asked him is because not only do we believe in the house of prayer, that the house of prayer is the right place, but we are leader is the only real true vicar of Christ, the true representative, the successor after Peter, so on and so forth, the mm. one who represents God and is the only man servant in the land today. Everyone else, they got it messed up. And therefore, Jesus leaves his authority in the hands of another man. So that way, um, you have someone who you can lay your eyes upon. He can be the new lead. And mm. All of those things were unscriptural. Mm -hmm. I actually asked my pastor if it was okay for me to do that. And this was before I became a minister. This is why I was still a deacon. And he responded to me. He said, why would you want to do that? I said, well, because they're, they're praying in the name of Jesus. They're saying all uh, these things in Jesus' name. They're, why can't we? He says, do they believe in your leader? I mm -hmm. said, no. So why would you want to pray with them? And from that point on, any person who was outside of the house of prayer, who even came up to me and asked if they wanted to pray, I rejected. Mm -hmm. Rejected. But it came a particular time, I'd say about 2015, five years after I had been already minister in the house of prayer, I was the assistant um, assistant chairperson for the, for the, uh, for the uh, return elders is what we were called um, for the entire state of DC. Um, and eventually came to a point where I actually had, I went through and I asked as many trustworthy elders as I possibly could. Mm. Is it that we're teaching? How is it that we're teaching this stuff? And that's not what's written. And so you go through all of these different elders who have been inside the ministry, have been inside this church for 30 plus years. Here I am, been in the ministry for only, what, three, three years? You mean to tell me that you haven't seen these contradictions? Mm. And 
So what you come to find out is many of these men have and have made decisions to go to stay with the house of prayer instead of actually addressing the truth. Now they have their reasons such as they're already married, they've got kids, they're committed, they don't see any other places to go because this is what they've been doing for all their life. It's mm -hmm. to make a change for Christ that is that hectic while you've got everything under you. I mean, your prestige is in the house of prayer. Mm. Your accolades, everybody knows you in the house of prayer. Um, your style, your swag, everything is in there. Why would you want to get rid of that for the sake of Christ? Mm. That's a hard decision. And so eventually I confronted, I asked all of them, and, and to be quite honest, I would get different answers from different men every single time. Many of them would tell me that the house of prayer just ain't ready to hear that just yet. The question would be then, well, when is it time? Mm -hmm. Got individual souls who are on the line thinking that this particular man holds the key to their salvation. Mm -hmm. Um. Eventually, we get down to the role of me having to confront my own pastor. This man has pastored me since I was in, since my freshman year in college. And for 10 years, he had overseen me, developed, written me a great letter just to even be made an elder in the house of prayer. Mm -hmm. I ended up having to address him about our contradictions. And when I did that, we went through at least three months of back and forth discussion via face-to-face -face and via email. On that last discussion, I won't forget it, it was around 2014, December. He tells me, Sloan, I want you to come to the house of prayer tonight and it's a Tuesday night. And I want you to bring your letter with you. This letter is the thing that gives me the position and the, the, the ability to preach in the house of prayer. Okay. He, if you do not come tonight, you are not permitted to preach until you have brought me that letter. So I come that very night mm -hmm. and I'm straight to his office. And when I get there, there are three men in that room. No, it's four. It's four men who are in that room. And they're there to witness me having my letter taken. So that way I am held accountable not to be able to preach in the house of prayer until I have sort of repented or I've changed my mind about the position. They went through a flurry of different questions and I just no longer could believe that no one was actually saved unless they came to the house of prayer, that somehow they were not blessed or somehow they were missing out on something. It was almost as though when Jesus says, um, for I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. We were placing additions to him. Though mm. so it was not, not only was Jesus saying, I am the way, he would say, I am the way, plus the house of prayer is the way. Mm. I am the truth, and the house of prayer is the truth. I am the light, and the house of prayer is the light. No one can come to the Father except, except you come through me and the house of prayer and their leader. Mm. That was an unacceptable foundation, something of which I was not willing to concede. Now, all the men who were in that room, um, whatever they had shared with me before they got into that room with our pastor, I wasn't going to expose them for what they shared because a lot of them shared my similar opinion. But mm. my point is, I'm not going to put a man in a place where he cannot stand on his own two feet. Right you're not willing to stand for truth on your own, you would be destroyed by it. Mm -hmm. So in Lord's time, he'll deal with that person. But regardless, let me try to wrap this up real quick. <laughs> uh, I'd say after that, I spent my the rest of my year before I have to be checked by the by the council, which is a, a, sec, a section of the church, a group of men who check you to see if you're worthy of still continuing to be an elder. Every year they do that. So from that time in December till August, when we get checked in D.C., um, I spent my time trying to recognize or meet other people who were believers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to meet the people who professed to be Christian 
that I had been rejecting all of my life. And so I spent a time, First, first Church Baptist, uh, First Church of, uh, First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. I went to do street ministry with a brother that was out there on the street. Mm. Um, um, I had just done a whole bunch of fellowship with people who I would meet up on meetup.com. And I wanted to get to know the world that I had been missing. Mm. So I did all that all the same while I prepped myself to engage this this group of men who were going to uh, check me to see if I was worthy to be an elder in the house of prayer. Mm. Right before I checked in for that last meeting with the, with the council, my pastor came up to me and he asked me if I had changed my mind. And I told him, I haven't, nothing has changed. He told me, you know, that if you go to the council, they'll take your letter permanent and you will no longer be an elder. And he said, you just have to be a good brother. Are you willing to let that happen? And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> I said, I am. And by that time, I had I had been, I don't know, I had just been through so much um, and prep, prep well that I, I just wasn't willing to be moved. So I get up there in front of the council that one day with all my preparation uh, in front of several brothers several fellow elders and a whole bunch of the apostles uh, sitting up in front of me being prepared to judge me. Had to wait five hours just to get my, my Lord, this is a long testimony. Well, anyway, let's just say I lost my letter. They took it away. And then all of a sudden I left. As soon as I left that day, one brother chased me outside of while I was going to my car because I felt a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Mm. But at time I wanted to stay because if there was a chance that I could help my brothers and sisters get mm -hmm. on the track I wasn't going to run away you were going to have to take that from me mm -hmm. I was going to allow I wasn't just going to run away just because we had disagreement and that was one of the questions they asked me they said if you why, why didn't you just leave I said what kind of a man leaves his brothers when they're in the wrong mm -hmm. brother wants to see his brothers corrected and restored and so, I mean, they stood there in silence, didn't say nothing, said, you can no longer be an elder, chopped that block, went out. One of the brothers came out and he ran up after me. He, he wrapped his arms around me and I was in full shock. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. He wrapped his arm around me and he said, man, I love you, man. Hmm. It's like you got brothers in there who really have that same understanding, but are either afraid to say it, mm -hmm. no consequences and just don't have anyone else to to back up mm -hmm. these contradictions out of fear so i don't know I, I, that's just one of those testimonies i don't want to get into the other stuff let's Ooh. just that just let that all that led me down a path to wanting to just do more ministry because my heart for god did not leave me just because i separated from mm -hmm. congregation as a matter of fact it made my heart burn even more mm -hmm. but i to do it in a way that was more, not just from a fundamentalist perspective, but more in a human and relational one. I wanted to understand the minds and the hearts of men before I even th thought about judging them. Hmm. So I went to homeless shelters. I went to do street ministry again. I also went to AA meetings. I wanted to hear what men were really struggling with in life so that way I could be a true asset uh, something that I could actually help them do. And those are just testimonies in and of themselves. I could go all day long, but it's not going to be right because we got too many other things. I am so <laughs> wow, wow, wow. You know what? Praise God, y'all, my lovely listeners, y'all came for one thing and you, you're about to, you got, you got one thing and you're going to get another thing, but I, I, I hope you realize how blessed you are in just hearing Stephen's testimony. I mean, there are so many things I could point out. I, I think that for one, it really talks to the person you are, to the man of God that you are, really speaks to your character. So many things were coming to my mind in terms of um, when you talk about 
people holding on to their prestige, holding on to their accolades. The, the first thing I thought about was Jesus talks about, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. You have to take up your cross to follow me. That means in taking up the cross, you're putting to death everything else. And you just embody that. Like <laughs> you forsook it all. Is that a word? Forsaken? <laughs> I understand what you talk about. It don't matter. I understand. <laughs> like you put it all aside. And then I love that, you know, when you talk about when they, when they ask you, oh, why didn't you just leave? You know, like a disgruntled employee, right? Because you, you it, it was more than that. It was bigger than that. And you, you did the research, you studied. Uh, when you talk about, um, there was one point you were talking about being, you wanted to be a, at a place that you were unshakable. I thought of another scripture and it says, therefore my brothers be, be unshakable, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and like standing for that truth. And I'm just like, wow, what a testimony. What a way to describe the faults of men, the honesty, the reality that church is imperfect, man is imperfect. When I say church, let me clarify, the people um, that represent the church are, are imperfect. Men, is, men are imperfect. But what a way you were able to deliver it, share your testimony, which involves describing your time at this church without assaulting, berating, belittling, you know, like let's, let's learn from that. And, and that in and of itself, the way that you delivered that. And I just really appreciate it. And I, you know, so many people have church hurts, um, but you just, you just really delivered it in a, in a very respectful and truthful, honest manner. So for that, I'm just like, wow, that really, really appreciate that. And I could go on and on too, but guys, Ladies, I hope you're taking notes and really thinking about a lot of what Stephen said. I think we could all take a nugget or two from his testimony and be blessed by it. Um, so we're going to transition now. Woo, that was so good. Thank you for sharing that and being transparent as well. I really appreciate that. And I know my listeners do too. Um, and so in our transitioning, because we're talking living single and hearing it from a Christian man's perspective. And so I want to go ahead and ask you, what are some ways you maximize your singlehood to the glory of God? I mean, you've already touched on some of them, but just if you can lay it out for us, how are you maximizing your singlehood at this time to give God the glory? One is uh, self-discipline. Self, self-discipline with your mind and with your body, knowing that your body has been bought with a price. So even the thoughts that come about when it comes to sexuality and how you deal with your, your impulses for the desire of the flesh needs to come with a sense of self-control. Mm -hmm. And so that self-discipline will, will manifest itself in several different ways because prayer becomes stronger your conversations actually have substance now when you actually have to discuss what it truly costs not to engage in sexual immorality, either with yourself or with someone else. So mm -hmm. that is definitely one thing. I would definitely say that the other things that I take advantage of singleness with is, it just seems like um, it's, it's, a natural desire right now to want to be in service somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like the idea of not having something that I'm actually serving on. So in my journey, especially after my, my departure from the house of prayer had landed me in several different areas. Like I said, my, my singlehood, I've been taking advantage of that to try to learn how to be a good minister to be a good steward of God's word by getting involved in realistic ministries, dealing with people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no better way to know what to expect as far as a marriage than dealing with someone else. It, it forces you to have to tell, uh, take self-introspection mm. because every person is going to be treated differently. Every single person has different expectations 
And I believe that the mantra of the Bible is going to be based around being a servant of someone else. Mm. So the idea uh, for me or my actions, as far as taking advantage of my single singleness, uh, it's taken me on quite a journey to a point where I was in double A meetings, trying to understand the hearts of men. Those are some very unique testimonies in and of themselves. I wasn't even trying to participate. It almost felt like I was intruding, but they were open to everything. Mm. Uh, I went to homeless shelters, uh, so that way I could get involved with that. And that's how I got in contact with several different members of the First Baptist Church in Glen Arden. Um, uh, I went into prison ministry. One of my brothers from, uh, from high school who was in prison helped me to get into one of their opening programs, their volunteer programs that was down in Manassas. I eventually got involved in the one that's um, Kairos Ministries that they do theirs in Roxbury Correctional Institute that's up in, up in Hagerstown. Mm. I got involved with that week long. You sitting down there with brothers who are in the prison of, of all sorts of different types of uh, backgrounds. You've got Jewish in the brothers down there, brothers who are Hispanic. Usually they would end up being, uh, oh man, I'm testifying again. Yeah, that's uh, all right. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just saying, I'm just saying uh, these are some of the things. And then more so than anything, one of the things that I am, that I was more so blessed to actually do was street evangelism, mm. especially in Eighth Ward, DC, Southeast, right there where they have that very big issue where the brothers is taking this laced weed and it sort of takes you into a whole nother attitude of actions when you when you take your puff. I done seen brothers break out in seizures while mm. they're out there on the park. I saw it do like happen five times when I went out there. So I went out there a couple of times. I went out there with another church organization because I wanted them to teach me the ropes. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn how to do it first because, you know, usually our conversations as Christians behind closed doors and behind the coffee table in the coffee shops, it doesn't translate out there in, on the streets with people yeah. just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. It needs to come with a whole different dynamic. And sometimes the best ministry out there is listening, listening to their testimony. And I tell you, when you have a heart to want to do something for God, some reason, some way, he puts other people in your path just to help you do what you are seeking to do for him. And I had never been more blessed than at that time. I witnessed myself go out there, was shivering in my own boots when I tried to go out there by myself. Didn't know how I was going to say anything. How do I relate to these people? Right. Their faces are, are their faith, faces are sort of weathered because they have been uh, exposed to all sorts of types and drugs. You listen to their testimonies, and some of them just feel as though the drug is a friend because it helps them to get past the woes of failure. You got doctors who are out there on those streets wow. who got degrees and don't know what they're going to do with their life. And, and you come out there and I, I'm seeing all these different groups. They come out there, they're giving free clothes, free food, so on and so forth. I finally get out there and I'm, I'm really just a f- fearful. I don't know how I'm going to say, how do I relate? How do I? And I'm saying, I'm saying, Lord, just give me one. Just give me one. Walking through that park. Just give me one. Because all of them is peppered out all over there. Mm. I get four of them. The first one I get, he, he asked for something to eat. I just went over to Popeye's, got him something to eat, brought it back. <laughs> uh, and the next person was a brother who I had met out there when I went out there with the church group. And when I started speaking with them, one of the sisters came up. Her face was sort of weathered, like a glove, like a, a baseball mitt. Um but, you know, I had myself my little pamphlet books. I didn't know what I was going to say. And all I could do was utter the words, you know, I just have a sincere love for you guys. And I want you to know that God actually loves you as well. And I want you to know that he wants you to be just as restored as I am. Mm. Sisters, when she heard it, she said, wow, I've never heard anyone say that to us before. She said, I said, what are you talking about? She says, no one's ever said that to us before. I say, well, all these other groups that come out here, they give you free clothes and free food. Are you telling me none of them have ever introduced the gospel to you? She said, yeah, they give us free food. 
they give us free clothes, but no one ever tells us about the gospel message. Wow. So hmm. you end up getting out there and you recognize that sometimes even when we as Christians want to do a good deed, sometimes we miss the most significant aspect of doing that good deed. And that is actually telling someone about the good news. Hmm. Hmm. You can give clothes, you can give food, but there is nothing more nourishing than the restoration power of the gospel message. Amen. Apparently, that is something that is often not shared. Hmm. But I can tell you, even from them, the testimonies, because I just had folks join and join. And there was just folks who come out of nowhere. And, and the brothers who I was doing prison ministry with had other brothers who, was, who wanted to come in. We would go down the street. And for some reason, they just get in an argument with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then, all of a sudden, <laughs> and, and then I bring them out to the park. And then you have a brother who comes out there. And, he, and the first thing they utter to him is peace. We come in the name of Jesus. We want to tell you about his goodness. And the brother just opens out. He spills out his guts. Brothers talks about how he was taken advantage of as a young man mm. by a particular family member. And he drinks the way that he does now because he doesn't feel like a man anymore. Mm. And he doesn't know. And it brought the both of them to tears. Mm. I was all the way across the other side talking with some other guys, uh, trying to speak to them about the gospel, getting a getting sense straight. I'm just saying, if if your first question was, how, am I, how is my singleness being brought into give the maximum glorification to God? I, I am of the mindset that I really love ministry. I really love being able to want to tell the gospel to someone, and I want to see it practically illuminate within someone's life. Mm. I don't just want to tell you, I want to help disciple you. I want to see your life turn around, if, should the Lord will it to be done. Um, and I want to surround myself with resources whereby not only can I help the old brothers, the, the senior brothers who are on the street, but also the young brothers who's on a street corner selling that stuff. Right. And an entrepreneurial mindset and transform it into something that you, and not only you, but your community can be proud of. Mm. So I'm trying to take my engineering, my degree, mm -hmm. and take that, combine it with the resources that I have, my desire for ministry, and turn that into something where we can truly transform the lives of those individuals out there in the street. So, wow. I mean, I mean, there's a lot more to that. That's just where I am. That's my path. I've got a lot more that's a, a, a touched on it because it's just so much more testimony to give, but I, I'm, I'm trying my best to keep it short. <laughs> you know what? That's all right. That's all right as the Lord leads. Because what I'm getting is a laser eye focus on the Lord. There's a phrase that I can't claim as my own. I read it in the devotional, but it's always stuck with me. It's gaze at God, glance at life. And my mm. brother, you are taking quick glances at life, but your gaze is on God and I can see it super hyper focused on the Lord. Lord, what you want. We're, so we're here talking about, you know, we're gonna talk about dating, but I could see it just rains off of you. Like my focus is God, period. <laughs> and that is so refreshing. It's encouraging, you know, um, to, to just be that focused. Yes, you can have these other desires, but to not let them overtake you. You have a job to do. You've been called to a purpose on this earth. And as long as God breathes air into your lungs, there's things to be done. And mm -hmm. you are showing it to have mm -hmm. that attitude of ministry. And I love that, to minister. And because I want us to get out of this idea that ministry happens on the pulpit. You know, no minister, the word minister means to serve and we are all servants. So I love that. That's, that's your focus. So I'm okay that we're spending so much time here because that speaks volumes. That's where the purpose needs, you know, that's where the focus needs to be. 
Now, okay, we have this little other side. <laughs> you know, we have a one another aspect of you, right? Mm. Not the main, <laughs> you know, but just, just another aspect. There's a desire that you have to be married, correct? Yes. Now, now that now. has been in there. Because like I said, that focus, I had my desires. And like I said, one of my biggest desires was I want to help my brothers and sisters in the house of prayer. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I want them to know Christ and the freedom that comes with him uh, from the yoke that is currently on them at this present moment. I would prefer to see them freed. And not only just the individuals who are lay people, I want to see the bishop restored. Mm. I, it doesn't matter to me that he holds such a prestigious and high position. It would be better if I were to able to have this one-on-one with him. And I am far more versed in the scripture than I was the day that I was moved or mm. take my letter removed from me. Um, I, I, I would be so desperate to want to see that transformation occur in that church uh, with those people because they were the ones who helped me become who I am. Mm. I would not have been so dedicated to Christ had it not been for them. Mm. They were the ones who first inspired me to have inspiration for God in the first place. And therefore, when I first left the house of prayer, it wasn't so much about dating. My, My concerns weren't so much about finding a wife at that present time. If I wanted to have a wife at that time, I would have married one of the sisters inside the church. But, but knowing that our, our uh, perspectives on Christ would have been different, that would have been a host, holistically uh, uh, ununified, unequally yoked marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I definitely would not want to put somebody in a place, especially like that. Sisters are afraid when I speak the way that I speak, especially when I'm speaking to sisters in the house of prayer <laughs> about this Bible which is why I would prefer to speak to some of the pastors because I know I know that many of them, they know already. Many of them know. And I fear more for them because they know better. And right. I'm not to teach because of other fears. That, that does not fly with me. Mm. So yes, uh, I would now, I have now considered it. And I could definitely say that maybe the pandemic uh, also help with that. Hmm. But that's just me being transparent. I can just say that wholeheartedly, um, my focus had not been on marriage and I wasn't looking for it at that particular time. But now I, I'd say within the pandemic, maybe 2019 is probably when it started for me, when I started actually engaging in the dating world. Okay. So Seeking out a wife is now one of my desires. Got it. So with that, how are you approaching dating as a single Christian man? Whoa, that's good. Uh, First, I needed to have a good uh, selection of brothers around me. Hmm. A good brothers who, one, share my same values as a Christian man, and then at the same time have had more experience than I did. Okay, because my entire 20s, I had spent in dedication to the craft of ministry mm-hmm. and focusing on my engineering and degree and stuff like that. So coming back into the into the world of dating was almost like coming into it at, with the mindset of a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect nor how to engage. I've always had sisters come address me for their desire to be in a relationship but that was because of my position. Mm-hmm. Being a minister anywhere comes with those perks, so to so to speak. But it's a whole different monster when you have to end up being the one to engage, mm. seek out, especially those who don't know nothing about you. <laughs> your, t- your title does not precede you. Right. Nobody. So you have to learn. And the best way you're going to do that is you're gonna to have to engage individuals who've done it before. And so I started off trying to seek out sisters' perspectives first, since that was what uh, I thought would be best. But 
I would say that from a male's perspective, the best way that I have found approaching is getting my perspective on how to engage women from a male's point of view. Mm -hmm. You need men to show you what you are about to engage when you're getting out there and trying to actually date. And so I've surrounded myself with a good sort of brothers, both married and dating. Mm. Most brothers who are in the married stage, their focus no longer needs to be out there in that world. They have a focus at the home. The brothers who are engaged in the dating circle now, they have to be up to date. Right. But is out there. And so you need that good group of brothers to bounce off of, to encourage, to help you recognize certain realities about dating, including rejection. And it comes. It does come. You got to let it come. Don't be ashamed, brother. It's got to come. (laughs) Don't get all up in your your feelings because that's a reality. But you need a good support system. So I would say um, one of the best approaches that I have is getting a good support system around you. And then second, for me, uh, transparency, being realistic, not being ashamed of the person who God has made you to be, the new creation that you are, whether you got quirks or whether you got you got a little nerdiness in you, <laughs> travel the world a whole bunch or not, you're, you're not trying to fit everybody's mold. Mm. You want to fit your mold. Your idea is to serve one who wants to be served, not someone who don't want to be. So you want to be you want to serve someone who you can. And so being transparent about who you are, not ashamed of who you are, nor your testimony of what God has made you, what you have been through, and and not afraid to tell that testimony either. Because it is far better to actually bring that testimony up front so that way they can either accept or reject at the forefront so you're not wasting your time and you and they're not wasting yours. Right. Rather than going on three long months of, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> how are you doing? What do you like? I like this. I like that. You want to be, I've learned that the approach of transparency and getting to the point is actually actually more realistic and more important than anything because a relationship is serious business. Right, right. Very serious business. You are talking about, you are contemplating the idea of living life with someone else, working out and growing together, pains and all. You, you're getting rid of all the perspectives of other people around you, and you are you want to take a stand on your own word, not the expectations of someone else, mm-hmm. but your own. And therefore, transparency and being realistic is definitely something that I actually uh, uh, approach when it comes to dating. Um, so in a short, in the best way possible, I'd say that would be, that would be a good sum, summation. That is so good. So good. And speaking of getting to the point, then what are some pointed questions that you've asked or that you would ask to get the answers that you're really looking for? And this is to speak to that point of so that you're not spending three months. Hi, hi. um, Or catching feelings. Right. And now that's clouding your judgment. So what, what are some pointed questions that you've asked or, you know, would ask? Um. One, it depends on the individual because you don't necessarily know if they're a Christian or not. So one of my first, one of my questions is, what is your faith? Mm-hmm. What is your faith? Um, that'll be one of my big questions. And then after, if they are a Christian, I'll ask for their, that they came to know Christ, just mm-hmm. like me, because um, every Christian is not the same. Mm-hmm profess the name of Christ does not necessarily mean you walk as though you profess the name of Christ with all truth and sincerity in your life. So hearing a testimony helps to give you a picture of what it is that they actually believe in and whether they follow that to the T. And you can, you can, their testimony speaks volumes because every follower of Christ has a testimony some way, somehow. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other 
um, items that we get into. Sort of like uh, I asked them, have you had any previous relationships? Mm -hmm. And if they have, I asked them, why aren't you still in it? Mm. Um, and if, you know, one of the things, uh, so if it broke up, uh, do you, what part do you think you played in, in the relationship breaking up? And you want to hear, I asked that question because you want to hear if a person still has issues mm. come from that past relationship that they have not necessarily resolved in our, and could potentially be bringing into something with you. So you'd be taking on baggage that you, didn't, you don't necessarily know is there. Wow. Ask the question. And you need to be able to have the soft skills capable enough to be able to do that. Um, so that way you can allow them to speak, hear their testimony, because you can tell the difference between somebody who, who has resolved their issues and a person who has not. Right. Um, especially one who is constantly placing blame on the other person. Mm. No sensibility of their own issues. Now, can you imagine how that's going to act when y'all get into a little something, something, where you mm. don't how much that going how that's going to pour off into yours so i always ask about past relationships um um i also ask them especially when it comes to sisters what do you think what is the role of male and female in a marriage mm. what is the role of male and female in a marriage especially when it comes to our sisters who are christian because the idea of that word submission is right. like an insult or a curse word. <laughs> when and misunderstood, I, yes. Yes. In our modern day conversation, it can look that way. And so you want to understand um, what their perspective is, is on that because you, if you're trying to lead a godly lifestyle, you want to be able to allow the male to lead in a role that is that is godly because that's that type of uh that type of relationship will actually bear good fruit and it'll also speak to what type of man she's actually looking for mm. is she looking for someone who she can domineer or dominate is she looking for someone to partner with or is she looking for someone who can lead mm. One of those two will speak to to that vision because like i said for me, my heart's desire really does lend and tend itself to ministry um, in a big way. I like to take my work and I like to take the ministry and I like fusing them together. And I don't want to be at odds with the person who I would be in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. Be able to work along and build it together with her if she is willing and wants to join um, in with the work that I'm that I definitely am pursuing. Um, it is fulfilling, but let me not, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to do that. Okay. So I'd say that was one of them. I also ask about their relationship with their family. Mm, yeah. I think in, in several of the conversations with my godmother, with my grandmother and the, the stuff that they've been giving me, it's, you know, you need to know their support system somebody's got to be able to testify on their behalf mm. of what type of person they actually are. That, that pays dividends and you need to know these things, or at least that's what I've been educated on is knowing the family, the background, who, what her mother is like and how she deals with certain things. Um, Cause sometimes we are, we don't fall too far from the tree when it comes to family. Right. So you want a good perspective on who's that going to be. Um, so family is definitely one of those. And I always ask, what is it that they're looking for in a relationship? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I ask that is because for most of the sisters that I've actually engaged in with dating, none of them even, none of them even think about what they want. They, they don't, they're most of them who, who, uh, or some of the sisters who I've, who I've dated or actually went out on a date with haven't even been asked that question to contemplate it. 
their idea of dating is more so we'll see how it goes. We'll mm -hmm. see how it goes. And we'll just let the cards play out as it may. Those cards could play out for five months before you find out that you don't want nothing to do with this person. Right. You have got to know what you want. And you've got to start planning for it because mm. marriage is not a playground. It's not something that you slip and fall into. Mm. And too many of us have gone into marriage with a great sense of enthusiasm, but no knowledge. Right. And then want to blame God for the very faults of the marriage when it don't work. All right now. So, so I, I asked a few of those questions straight off the top. And, you know, uh, those are just my starter of questions. And I love to let people or the sisters speak so that way um, the, the conversation can carry from then. And, and it just goes to wherever it leads from that point. Wow. Loaded. Love it. Serious and important mm -hmm. and necessary. Necessary conversations to be had early on in dating or going on a date with an individual. So thank you so much for those. And I hope you listeners are taking notes. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and leave, leave my listeners with some pieces of advice. You can focus on uh, the brothers in Christ if you want to, or the sisters in Christ who are single or both. Uh, but what advice would you give to them as they are in this season of dating, as they have the desire to be married? Um, yeah, what, what advice could you leave for them? Uh, wow. I would guess I would say The first one, if you are truly looking to get married and you are really looking to marry, first have a mind, the mindset and the heart of a servant. Yeah. You want to look for someone who you don't mind serving. The idea of being in any relationship comes with being a selfless individual. The reality of being in a partnership starts off with that reality that there are going to be things that you are going to have to compromise. What, and, and you can't be in a state of if this person does not match every criteria that, Matt, that I have set on my board, then it can't, then this relationship can't work itself out. There are a few things that I think a person should have before you engage in a relationship. Everything else, can actually be something that can be worked out. Mm. You want a person who is disciplined with their money. You want a person who is disciplined with their body and their and the lusts of their eyes. Mm. You want a person who, who takes care of their own home and their car because those are evidences of a person's stability of mind. They are reflections of the internal stability of your heart and how you deal with things um, at, at your conscience level. Um, if a person can be stable with their money, if a person can be stable with their house, their car, their finances, and with their lusts and, and, and their, the impulses of their heart, you can have yourself as a Christian that person would be, I would think, is a solid candidate for even considering all your other lists that you got up there, whether he likes opera, whether she likes go-kart racing, whatever, you, <laughs> whatever, your, whatever your flavor is, all those other things can be worked itself out. But you want somebody who actually truly has um, a life that can testify of true discipline, because that is the concept of being a disciple, discipline. The person mm -hmm. must be committed and they can't just be word of mouth. They need to have evidence of that discipline. And you want to find out what that discipline looks like. The confession that of, of the confession of a man or a female that says, uh, I'm a, a, a God-fearing man, where's your proof? Mm. Something that needs to be shown. And I'm not just talking that it'll be evidenced in a praise break dance. 
needs to be shown in how he actually communicates with his friends, his family, what he does when, is he only to himself? Does he have people that he fellowships with? You want to surround yourself with this person in a lifestyle and, and you want to make sure that they don't have nothing to hide. Mm. Be- that's, that's true transparency, but I, I know that's harder to say than actually do because I am not like every person that's out there and uh, I don't want, I don't think that anybody should be. It's just that I would think that some of those basic criteria is something that you want to stand on. Um, I would like to also add, um, you can't be afraid of rejection. If if you're going to go out there and you're going to look for somebody, you have to embrace the reality that you don't fit everybody's mold. Don't, don't expect to be accepted for, for the first one you hit. Sometimes you got to hit, you got to bat a thousand just to get three home runs. Mm. And you, that's a reality. So the, one of the things, if you can't embrace yourself for that reality, you will put yourself in a state of paralysis. Mm. Always look for God to be the one to give you the person that you're looking for than to use the very gifts he's given you to go find one for yourself. He has given you a mind. He has given you a voice. He has given you thoughts. He has given you friends. He has given you experiences. All of those are good gifts from God that you can use to to test, to measure, and and merit whether someone can be your potential future mate. So do not be afraid of rejection because it's coming. And when you get the person who fits your standards best, um, that is something that you can praise God about. definitely believe that is something that you can praise God about because it is an honor to be able to leave a legacy both for you and the man and to be able to leave and minister in a whole new way. As a matter of fact, I recall uh, in my studies when it comes to the Jewish roots of our faith, there are several different stages at which a person gets to when they can profess that they have been born again. Sometimes being born again is not only being made reference to in Jewish culture when it makes reference to the salvation of the soul. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is made reference to when a person person goes through their bat mitzvah or their bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Enter into a new birth, a new stage of life for yourself. Another one would be when you get married because marriage is a whole nother stage than being the single life. It's, and it's a step up. It sets you up to actually be a, a new individual. You got a responsibility as a papa, as a mama. Mm. You got some, you got little ones who are going to learn how to navigate this world based upon your instruction. Mm. And this is a honorable title to have. And matter of fact, in, in I believe that in my studies, you could not become a part of the Sanhedrin except you had had been married had children and had a good report in your community for having led your your children and family well. Mm. So there is a lot to say when it comes to that because, um, Lord have mercy. (laughs) Lord, okay. So I think I done lost my train of thought. That's all right. That's all right. So there's a lot to be said about being married and then the steps that were, you know, that we should take, people should take seriously. Yes. You know, as they enter into this into marriage. It's not something to be taken lightly. I loved how you said, you know, it's not to you don't it's not something to slip and fall into and immediately I thought you slip and fall into it, you're going to slip and fall out of it. So, mm. you know, best believe it is something to to be taken seriously. Mm. Wow. Well, Stephen, you have blown me away and I trust that you've blown my listeners away with everything that you've given. You guys have heard it here. You've heard it from a, a man of God himself giving you the inside scoop. Guys, take note. Ladies, take note. Seriously. Um, married folk, take note. <laughs> like, let's, let's use this just like any other episode 
to really make sure we are in line with the master and his plans for marriage. Whether you're married one year, you're married 10 years, whether you're single, wherever you find yourself, whatever season you're in, take notes, run this back, write them down. I took notes. So make sure you take yours. And thank you again, Stephen. So appreciate you giving your time, being transparent, being authentic to who you are and being loving to my listeners to be able to share this information with them. Really appreciate it. Guys, if you have any questions, if this resonates with you in any way, feel free to email us at masterplanmarriage at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and we'll definitely respond. Thank you again, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. All right. All right, guys. Well, take care. Love y'all. Bye.